Ruin My Childhood. Thank you for listening to Ruin My Childhood, the podcast where we decide if some things are better left in the past. I'm Kat. I'm Mike. And what are we discussing today, Michael? We're going to be discussing the 1997 classic starring Robin Williams, Flubber. I don't know if I'd consider Flubber a classic, but... No, you know what? I probably wouldn't either. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll just we'll see how it goes. It's a movie that existed when we were children. <laughs> what do you remember about this film? You know, this one, even though it's Robin Williams, is probably the Robin Williams movie meant for kids that I watched the least. Um, but somehow I saw it in theaters twice because I remember going with my family and then I remember going to see it again with my cousins. But I don't think I ever saw it again. Maybe once or twice when it was on like Wonderful World of Disney or something like that. But I don't really remember too much about it. I know I think it's Gene Triplehorn's in the movie. Um, I remember the dancing sequence where Flubber like multiplies and is dancing around. And then I just remember there's like a, a subplot around helping the basketball team win. Um, but I just, from what I remember, it's just, you know, Robin Williams, Robin Williams ing about. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, definitely remember Robin Williams, some kind of sentient green goo. Yep. Um, and a lot of slapstick. But you know, I think I I thought that this was a movie more geared towards younger kids. So even though I wasn't that old when it came out, I kind of felt like I was too old for we, it. We, you would have been like nine. And I, I was going on nine, which is weird because like I'm smack dab in the middle of the demographic they were probably aiming for. But probably. Maybe I was a refined nine-year-old. You were always kind of a snob. <laughs> I was kind of a snob. <laughs> I, I still, you know, I I think I appreciate slapstick more now, but as a kid, definitely not. At nine years old, she was reading War and Peace. Actually, I probably read that when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what, what do you remember about it? anything specific or just the dancing, the, the green sentient goo? Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all I remember. Yeah, there wasn't a lot. <laughs> um, my friend Lauren's aunt was his hairstylist. On Shout the out film. to Lauren's aunt. Um, yeah, and they, I mean, they filmed it in, in San Francisco or the, the Bay Area. So, because Robin Williams liked filming there. Yeah, so I think, like, as a kid, that was kind of a cool novelty, actually sort of knowing someone who worked on a film because that wasn't part of our world growing up being in Northern California. Um, <laughs> but I know that Robin Williams really liked working close to home whenever possible. So yeah. It's kind of fun when, when these San Francisco or Bay Area based films pop up. Yeah. And now knowing somebody who's worked on a film set's not a big deal to you at all. No. That's just your day to day. It's my day to day. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the grind. <laughs> I guess we should go watch this thing. Yeah, let's do it. Oops. After a lifetime of failures, what a bang! Professor Philip Brainerd finally invented something that works. Yes! Unfortunately, it's Flubber on November 26th. It's not just a glob. Oh boy. It's an adventure. Pick the deck. Robin Williams. It's Flubber! Flubber, the absent minded professor. Rated PG. Starts Wednesday, November 26th. All right. We are back. It was an experience. It was an experience. I I don't know how I feel about all this. <laughs> I'm glad that it was on Disney Plus and we didn't have to pay to rent it. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just leave it. Let's start there and we'll build towards it. But I think people are going to be able to figure out where we're headed on this one. Oof. Yeah. All right. Uh, directed by Les Mayfield. He directed Blue Streak and Sino Man, Miracle on 34th Street. So, you know, keeping in the 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 remake vein. Yep. It was written by John Hughes. 
did not seem like a John Hughes film. <laughs> no, no, it did not. I don't, I don't know what happened. Um, credit was given to Bill Walsh, who um, was, of course, the original creator, I guess, of the Absent-Minded Professor, which this film was uh, basically a remake of, essentially. Um, and Samuel W. Taylor, who wrote the short story, A Situation of Gravity. Ooh, that sounds deep. It does. Mm. Is that children's literature? I, 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 I don't know. But uh, yeah, they got credit for it. <laughs> I don't know. I know there was The Absent-Minded Professor. And then uh, there was like a sequel to The Absent-Minded Professor that was specifically about Flubber. Yeah, I think so. So like the green goo character predates the... Uh, the film title. Yes. <laughs> the budget was $80 million. It yep. made $177 million at the box office. And it has a Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 24% and audience score of 33%. It was released Oof. November 30th, 1997. Um, I'll, I'll go in a little bit about the production. Um, in my research, there wasn't a ton about it. It kind of makes sense. This isn't a very uh, good warm regarded movie. So, you know, <laughs> there's not a lot of people going back and looking at it. But, um, this started production in 1996 uh, with director Les Mayfield, who had, you already mentioned um, has actually done another remake already, Miracle on 34th Street, which was also a John Hughes film. So John Hughes decided to work with him again. Um, you also mentioned that this primarily took place in the San Francisco Bay Area, but they actually filmed in a bunch of schools in the area. So they filmed it in an all-girls high school, probably Notre Dame or presentation would be my guess. I know that they filmed on Treasure Island quite a bit in the same stages that I, you know, those were my stomping grounds when I was starting out. They did. So they actually went and filmed at Stanford University of the Pacific in Stockton, San Jose State. Um, And then they also created duplicates of those places on Treasure Island. Um, But they they actually used Stanford and the high school for both. All the pretty schools. The residential and um, office settings. And then they duplicated those on Treasure Island. Um, For the most part, most of the people signed on after Robin Williams was attached. And one of the the kind of people who spoke out about this was Christopher McDonald, who played a lot of like the villain roles in the 90s. He was in Happy Gilmore and Thelma and Louise. Um, and he he actually turned this down because he felt it was too similar to those roles. But then when Robin Williams signed on, he reached back out to Disney and said he would do it because he'd always wanted to work with Robin Williams. Um, and he would play any role to get that opportunity. So I mean, that's the move, though. Like, right. if you can work with Robin Williams, you'll play anything. I, I mean, I would. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Um, oh, man. This... <laughs> The reception and legacy of this film, um, it opened alongside Alien Resurrection and was projected to gross about $32.5 million on its five-day Thanksgiving opening weekend. <laughs> they just, like, they set it up for so much success. It underperformed with $26.7 million opening, but still was number one at the box office. It remained in the top spot the following weekend, but with a huge 58% drop in attendance that weekend. You know, the weekend when word of mouth gets out. The film opened to generally negative reviews, but was noted to have fantastic visual effects, but those were outshined by tiresome and weak slapstick humor. This movie was generally seen as a failure and a waste of talent on and behind the screen, despite being a profitable film. That's fair. That's, I think that's generous, honestly. Like, what were they thinking? No. So, I mean, I'll summarize it really quick and then we can get into it. So, essentially, you've got Robin Williams is playing um, Phil. I don't even know his last name. I don't care. We're always just going to say Robin Williams for the rest of this episode. <laughs> but he plays a professor who's very absent-minded. Um, but he doesn't really come across absent-minded. He kind of comes across as 
I would say on the spectrum, like he really does not seem to be able to function as an adult no. at all. No. Um, so he has all these like seemingly sentient robots as well as a flying robot assistant uh, named Weebo or Weebo. Weebo. Uh, and he's, it's not Marsha Gay. It was Marsha Gay Harden, not Gene Triplehorn, who was in this movie, <laughs> but he's engaged to, to Sarah played by Marsha Gay Harden. I feel and like Marsha Gay Harden is just like Gene Triple horns, Raichu. Yeah, they, they, I <laughs> never can tell the difference between the two of them. It's terrible. Um, but Robin Williams' character has already missed two of his weddings because he just forgot to go because he was working on, on some sort of experiment. So this is his last chance to get married, and he blows it because he invents flubber, flying rubber, which is also a sentient thing that's supposed to be i don't understand how this works but it's supposed it's to be horrible. a new energy source but it also it's defies terrifying. physics and can bounce and everything but it's alive um and because he misses the wedding you've got shooter mcgavin um christopher mcdonald i don't actually know what this ca- character's name is i think it was like wilson something or other um uh, is his like scientific rival he used to be a scientific partner but like stole a bunch of his secrets and made a bunch of profit off of it and he comes back into town and says, I'm going to steal your fiance and marry her. So Robin Williams Straight decides up. he needs to create Flubber as an energy source to save not only his fiance and his relationship, but also to save the school. Because apparently the school like has a giant loan that's due in like 30 days. And if they don't pay it, the school's going to get shut down. How does this happen? It doesn't make sense that a university... <laughs> that is either Stanford presentation, Notre Dame, or San Jose State was going to fold in the 30-day period. Eh, Although, like, some universities did find themselves in similar situations over the pandemic. Yeah, but not, like, a 30-day... Not an institution, as it's presented to be. It doesn't make sense. But, yeah, that's basically the plot. He uses Flubber to save the day. He also cheats at NCAA basketball. He's a criminal. This guy, like... I just, I have a lot of questions. Like, okay, so when we first meet him, it's his house, and all of his appliances are seemingly sentient and fighting with one another and cleaning the house, preparing his breakfast, but it's all, like, very automated. So does he get up and eat the same thing every day? I would imagine he does. A lot of geniuses um have the same thing every day and wear the same thing every day so that way they don't have to make all these decisions and be distracted by and the whole house is disgusting like yep. it, it looks like that's the house he grew up in and he just never left and you know his parents, i would imagine that's the case parents died off and and left him to do what he will it's just kind of like did this guy start off as an extreme adhd case that like developed into dementia in his later years because well, it doesn't make that that's what he actually i know it's that's why this film is so dark now because the character seems like someone with advanced dementia yeah it's very odd um and it, it none of this is very original like his house is essentially doc brown's house from back to the future right um but i haven't seen the absent-minded professor or I, its sequel i haven't either um you know, this is something I'll probably end up, unfortunately, having to watch again. I'm saying, unfortunately, <laughs> I have to watch this again. Like, people don't even need to listen to this episode anymore because it's very clear where we're going with it. Right. Um, but I'll probably watch this at some point for Remake Rewind. Uh, there are some, like, gems of scenes just because they're so over-the-top, bizarre, and stupid. 
that well, they're funny. Yeah, and, and I do want to say at the top, I mean, obviously, the when we talked about the critics and about this, um, the special effects are pretty incredible, not just for they're 1997, amazing. but they still, I would say these would have still held up as state-of-the-art even in the mid to late 2000s. It still looks a lot better than a lot of children's films yeah, that are coming out today. Few, there's a few scenes with like Weibo flying around where it's like, imperceptible that it's not part of reality but then there are a few times where robin williams interaction with touching a button or something and you can tell that it's not physically there but Weibo, for the most part if you told me they they had it on some sort of gimbal or wire work and they just green screen that i would believe you because Weibo looks fantastic yeah it looks absolutely seamless through most of the even, film. even flubber looks pretty solid most of the movie like Despite Weeble, the physics doesn't make sense. Weeble actually ends up being a, a bigger character than Robin Williams' girlfriend or anyone else in fiance. the film, really. Well, his fiance, but I mean... No, it's, it's weird, and I completely forgot about the subplot. Uh, I'm quite honest, I forgot about Weebo. <laughs> I, I didn't remember Weebo at all. But once Weebo popped up, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember her, voiced by the, the actress who voices Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Weebo's uh, kind of fun, though, because she's, like, ahead of her time. She's definitely ahead of her time. She's got this little screen that pops up out of the top, and she just, like, flashes. And not even, like, modern memes, like, the originators of memes, when we used to just send each other, like, random gifts of bizarre stuff. Yeah. It's like that. She's yeah. all memes all the time. She's just doing memes, and... Um, she's very much like something that would have emerged out of 2022 yeah absolutely and what's crazy about it is once I, for, I once again I forgot about that the fact that she even existed but she's also in love with him and actively is sabotaging his relationship with Sarah until you know the middle to end of the movie um, it's just insane like I, how do you forget about that and one of the things that drove me crazy about it and then it like was a throwaway line towards the last 10-15 minutes of the movie um, I was like, he needs money to save the school. And throughout the movie, people are trying to buy Flubber. And he's like, well, if I'm going to sell it, it's going to be to help the school. It's actually the property of the school because I work for the school. He's all on board with having his inventions go to the school for profit. So that way it can be maintained. And the whole time I'm like, that is not just an AI. That is an advanced sentient AI that he's created. He would be a billionaire, if not trillionaire right. for that. And I'm like, how is he not selling that? And then at the end of the movie, there's just a throwaway line that he made it by accident and doesn't. He was never able to replicate, it, and that's why it couldn't be sold. And I'm like, that's such a cop out. Like that it just is. doesn't make any sense. Let alone all of his other robots that he definitely put some AI into it. Maybe not sentience, but definitely AI. That he he would be a billionaire for that. Absolutely. So it makes no sense. Like that he had like his vacuum, his toaster oven. He had other things going around cleaning. Like. He okay. would be a trillionaire. He also, like, granted, he had the, uh, like, the the warning signs that you need legally for the fire department on the front of your building when you have certain chemicals in it. Like, he had a couple of those signs on his house. But I don't think that he would have been able to get the clearance to be able to have radioactive material in his basement Yeah, he had plutonium. Of his house. Well, he had plutonium. He, he, he had his little radioactive suit, you know, his lined suit and everything. But... It, it was just a normal basement like that's not lined with anything like that radiation would be like leaching into the home and everywhere around like that is not safe. But he also would have broken like several international laws regarding um, genetic experimentation because yep. he like takes a bit of his hair, which I guess we're supposed to believe that somehow like 
the the DNA that's available in a hair could make any difference in this concoction, but he like adds it to his radioactive flubber. It's a radioactive polymer with a piece of his hair in it, basically. Yeah. Well, and what doesn't make sense, the whole crux of the he's trying to create a new energy source for flight, travel, everything. And I don't understand how making a polymer that's elastic and stretchy <laughs> would ever do that. But okay, for whatever reason, it works. But to make it work, he ends up modifying um, a classic T-Bird car to fly with it. And he puts like a little engine. And as he turns the steering wheel, the little engine, it just looks like this big old lead orb in the middle of the car can do it. But he has to use gamma radiation to excite the flubber molecules <laughs> to move the vehicle. And it's like, but you can't just get gamma rays. And like, right. how was he doing that? That seems like more expensive than just using gasoline. Now, granted, I guess flubber never goes away. So it's it's a perpetual energy source, but you still need to get the gamma rays to excite it. So does that mean we have to make every car on the planet have some sort of plutonium or something in it? Right. But it also feels like the properties of flubber aren't any reduced by the reduction of flubber. So like he makes flubber into a powder at one point yep. and he adds a tiny bit of the powder to a jar of hand cream yep and it seems like there has been zero reduction in the properties of flubber just from putting his hand cream on it then yep. he makes it into a spray and puts that spray on a bunch of stuff but then like he's also like wiping his hands on things yeah and the flubber never seems to degrade but also it's radioactive but, but so of course it doesn't degrade but he's like leaving it all over this this what, educational this institution drives me crazy because you know I'm gonna jump ahead just a bit for a minute. The, I mentioned that there's like a crux of the stories revolves around like a basketball team and he cheats to win. And what drives me crazy is like he gets it on their hands, he gets it on their shoes, so they can yeah. jump and everything. And we'll go through some of the scenes and I'll say why it's ridiculous. But it's ridiculous because no way those players who had zero athletic ability would have been able to control this new physical feats that they would have had right. without knowing about it. But to your point, like he's able to pass it along. Like there's a point where he accidentally pats his butt and then later on it saves him because somebody like throws something at him and he like hip checks it and it goes flying. But when they he puts it on the ball, he puts it on their shoes, but the other team somehow doesn't get the benefit of flubber right. on the ball or on the basketball court. But these guys are getting it on their hands and they're able to like dribble the ball like a million miles per hour. It doesn't make any sense that it doesn't come off. Like, he completely saturates the ball. And yeah. it doesn't, like, the referee doesn't notice it. Like, every time you <laughs> score or halftime, whatever, it changes. Like, basketball is quarters. So, between quarters, they would have, the ref would have had the ball. And as soon as he would have tossed it, it right. would have went do, 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 all over the place. So, it's like very inconsistent. Yeah, the rules change all the time. And it seems like when Flubber, of its own accord in the beginning, starts flying around. Okay, first of all, he tests it in his own lab. Oh, my God. Destroys his basement lab. Multiple times. Multiple times. He, like, decides to amp it up by putting it on a freaking bowling ball. Like, why is that the choice that you make? Anyway. Yeah. He has, like, this glob of flubber in the beginning, and it breaks up into all these little flubber globs, and those globs are also sentient. So, like, is every little speck and particle of the flubber sentient? That makes me deeply uncomfortable. Well, I'm glad you brought up the fact that flubber is sentient again, because that dancing scene, one is, like, a male flubber dancing around, yeah, and they're another interacting one pops up in a scoot, like a skirt. Um, it seems like it's probably it's like a hive mind God. kind of situation. It's God. But they definitely, each individual one can do a thing. 
But what drives me crazy about it is it makes the rest of it problematic is he did create a sentient life form, synthetic life form, but he created a synthetic sentient life form. The UN would not be okay with this. No. And he uses it for (laughs) fuel. That'd be like if we went and got little children and ground them up and use them as fuel. (laughs) And that's essentially what he's doing. Like even like he takes a little bit of flubber, takes a piece of sentient life turns it into a dehydrates it turns it into the powder like you said or turns yep. it into the spray he's using a sentient creature a to coat things and it makes <laughs> no sense and speaking of the sentience it drives me crazy when we first discover it um uh robin williams goes like the shave on a haircut goes da 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 and then flub goes flubber goes da da like how would it how know that know? <gasps> so it's all knowing okay so flubber is god it has to Quite be. Quite possibly. A benevolent <laughs> God. Yeah. It's horrifying. There's another thing. There was like another song or something. Let me just go through my notes. And where did he get radioactive isotope? Like it would have had to have been purchased on the dark web. But was the dark <laughs> web a thing in 1997? Oh, it was. I mean, he probably just knew um, the Libyans for that Doc, uh, Doc Brown went to. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Once, oh, there's a point where like it morphs into Godzilla. Now that kind of makes sense a little bit because it's watching TV. Okay, I would do that. But during that scene where you mentioned it goes through like a screen window and it gets split into like thousands of little flubbers, mm-hmm. one little drop falls on an ink file and then it starts bouncing around and it draws the Mona Lisa in pen ink. How would it know what the Mona Lisa is? It's all knowing. It doesn't make any sense. The more we examine this film, the more uncomfortable I get. It, it falls apart very quickly. It does. So there really aren't any rules. Um, unfortunately, like the plot, you know, the school thing is just so unbelievable. One, how did they get themselves into that situation? Two, why is it his responsibility to fix it? Three, why don't they do a fundraiser? Also, the, his fiance, she she works at the school, right? She's a, a she's the president. Of she's the, school. the president of the school. She's a, a doctor, whatever. She has her doctorate. Um why does she want anything to do with him? It's also inappropriate. It's extremely inappropriate. And on top of that, the only like real villain in the entire film is just some guy who's trying to get with his fiance who no, he has two stood villains. up at the altar on multiple occasions. So that immediately makes him like a non-villain. He's kind of the better guy in this scenario. Yeah, but he did steal... Uh, Robin Williams intellectual property and he's just kind of like well if I didn't steal it and make my millions off of it you would have forgot about it or not finished it and it's just like well then why not be a good friend and a business partner like you run the business aspect let him be the science whatever but there's actually another villain uh, Will Wheaton is in this movie and he is oh, a he's kind it's of so weird because he's, like, he's, he's set up to be like a little villain but his father is the real villain um, of the end of the movie but like Will Wheaton is his character doesn't make any sense because he's this like spoiled rich kid and he's supposed to get all A's because the daddy is paying all the people off. But Robin Williams doesn't give him an A because he's he doesn't live in the real world. Whatever. Um, but Will Wheaton really doesn't seem to care about the school. But then at the basketball game at the end, the father, the evil father bets against the school and the Will Wheaton's like, hey, this is my team. I just can't play because I got a I got a D in Robin Williams class. Um but he like seems to really actually care about the team and it just doesn't seem in character for him. Right. Um, but yeah, then, then there's the father who like has his goons. Um, he, he's got um, Ted Levine, who is a uh, Buffalo Bill in, in Silence of the Lambs and, and uh, um, Clancy Brown, who's classic voice actor and also in Highlander and plays a lot of these like goon roles. Um, 
break into Robin Williams' house and like steal Flubber and they're going to, you know, use it. But the whole plot around the money thing doesn't make sense because at the end of the movie, Robin Williams goes, I will sell you Flubber if you give us a 30-day extension on the loan. The whole thing with this kid is he needs straight A's so he can get into Harvard Business School and the dad's paying it off. Wouldn't it be in his best interest to keep the school open so his son could actually graduate, get the degree, and go to Harvard? (laughs) If he closes the school, all the money he spent to get his son A's goes away. And also, why would you send your kid to a school that's about to lose accreditation and shut down? Like, I'm surely you could have paid to get the kid in Stanford. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's not one aspect of this plot that makes sense. Is it actually supposed to be set in the Bay Area? It is supposed to be set in the Bay Area. Because, uh, like, yeah. you see, I mean, I can't imagine how it's not. You see the Bay as they're flying around. Oh, man. Um, Send yeah, that guy it, to a state school. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so weird that, you know, it's probably just some other fictional private university. But still, either way, like, why would you do that? And then, just like the physics of this movie, you know, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit. Obviously. Right. Um, but the physics of Flubber doesn't make any sense how it can just go through walls and everything, but Robin Williams catches it with a baseball glove and it can just fly if it wants to, because you kind of, you think, okay, well maybe this works because with the introduction of impact, the vibration could accelerate internally somehow, whatever. And that's how it works. Right. But the flying, there's no way to explain it. No. But although with the flying, we do have a fun little subplot that runs throughout the film. Oh, yeah. um, I actually don't know who this little kid is. The little kid actually played Robin Williams, a young Robin Williams in What Dreams May Come, but I don't know what the Aww, actor's name is. Cute, but it, towards the beginning of the film, when when Flubber's you know just getting amped up, you were introduced to this father tucking his son in for bed. He's like, you know, there nothing is gonna come in your window. Like nothing can get up this high. He's just trying to reassure him, and then Flubber flies on in, traumatizes <laughs> this poor kid, like. That that single experience of, of like flubber flying in your window and destroying your bedroom, destroying your bedroom after you've been reassured is enough to make no kid ever want to sleep in their own bed again. But then flubber ends up going back to this kid several times throughout the film. Every single time when he's being reassured that he's okay and nothing's gonna happen. And then it <laughs> ends like the end of the movie is they're flying in the car, which this they're makes flying no sense. In the car. Thirty thousand feet in the air, like they're at cruising altitude with right. this plane. How are they breathing? How are they breathing? And we've got you know we'll get back into it, but we've got new Weebo's daughter or Weebo's daughter because Weebo got killed. That's weird. Uh, and Flubber like flies out of the car goes onto the window, scares the crap out of the kid again, and then it's just like... Because <laughs> he just happens to be in that jet. Yeah, the end. It's like, this kid is destroyed for life. <laughs> this kid's going to need so much therapy, it's not even funny. He can't live in the real world with anything like mint jelly or gag. No, well, and so like one of the things I also wanted to talk about was how this universe is... Like somehow death has got to not be a part of this universe because like the stuff that the goons go through in this are far worse than anything that like the wet bandits went through. They get in Home smacked Alone. in the head with a flubberfied bowling ball and, and golf ball and are that completely fine. in their skulls, like vaporize <laughs> them, and they just have little golf ball sized welts on their head. Yeah, like that would have destroyed They're them. Like on par with the Home Alone goons. Um, Shooter McGavin would have had his guts destroyed. Shooter McGavin. Um, <laughs> Because he, at towards the finale of the film, Flubber goes flying and it goes into the back of mountain. Instead of flying through the back of his skull or bouncing back out, it goes down and you see his stomach like moving around and he's like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, mommy. And then it shoots out his butt. So I was looking for information about this film while we were getting ready for this. 
Um, and there's really not a lot of information about it or the production online. I think almost everyone just kind of wanted to like wash their hands of this film and move on with their lives. And they're all a little bit embarrassed. So all that's on YouTube is random scenes that are cut out. Um, naturally, that is the only one that I clicked on. Uh, but it's looped. So it just keeps getting better <laughs> the more you watch it. Because it so it's shoots... like it's shooting out his butt and then in his mouth. Because it shoots out like... <laughs> through his pants leaves a hole behind and then just pops straight back into his mouth at the beginning of that scene that's so funny it's, it's worth watching um, <laughs> the, the... Uh, um weeboo is terrifying yeah she's pretty rapey she's super rapey for a robot she even kind of like goes so far as to make a holographic projection of herself so that she can have like a physical body um and that's disturbing and terrifying. And she's just like walking around his house, like playing house while he's asleep. Yeah. Well, the, the couple times while he's asleep, she like walks up and like she can't actually stroke him because it's uh, a projection. But she like runs her hand not across his face and everything. It's super weird. She sabotages him. Like he she cancels he, his wedding dates. And... Yeah. She like deletes his wedding <laughs> stuff from the uh, the calendar and everything. And it's, it's just and he even starts to remember. He goes, there's something with white, something with white, something with white. What do I have to do today that has something to do with white? And she like she knows and she just chooses not to tell him. Right. Like she's not a good companion. It's it's terrifying. Like, how did she get that way? What happened? How did she gain sentience? Right. Well, and he says it was like a happy, a glorious accident. And But my whole thing is like when she gets killed, like when the bad guys come. It's kind of gruesome. With, yeah, they hit her with the baseball bat. She's leaking battery acid. And he's just like, oh, I'm trying to try to find an extension cord, try to find a way to charge her. And then I can back her. What? You've already you now at this to? point after he finds her dead and dying, like they have a little like, oh, you're so bad. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she has a little moment with sarah beforehand like before she dies she finds a way to get to sarah and say hey sarah i sabotaged robin williams it's my fault he didn't <laughs> make it to your wedding like come and help him um so they get back and he's he, we find out at this point like the whole time we were watching the movie we're like why hasn't he sold this why hasn't he duplicated this and she the uh sarah goes well why don't you just make her again or back her up and he's like oh i can't and she's dying and i didn't make a backup You've never figured out how to make this. Right. And you have the capability of doing a backup. Why did you never back her up before? <laughs> that just seems like, like you're Maybe an idiot if you don't back up your to. laptop. But if you forget to back up the world's only sentient AI. Right. Who also has access to the internet and making memes before it. Like how do you not have that saved onto a server somewhere? Well, she, she found a way to uh, make a better version of herself. Yep. That... that subsequently she refers to as her daughter i guess yep skynet a weird way yeah so she like replicates herself but because she's self-aware and sentient she also recognizes her own flaws so she makes sure that her daughter doesn't have her flaws in her programming that's dangerous it is dangerous it's terrifying none of this makes sense these robots could take over the entire world yeah and at this point, like, he needs to go, okay, well, we definitely can make changes. We need to figure this out. But he doesn't. Um, I, you know, the more I think about it, I just this just occurred to me. And it's driving me crazy now. So there's a point where him and Sarah spray their hands with flubber so they can fight the bad guys. <laughs> he sprays it onto his butt so an ashtray that was thrown at him can bounce off. So I have an issue with this because the whole point... He's, he says at some point, like, oh, it absorbs the kinetic energy, like you said. So How would you even it... pour it into a container? Right. 
that that make doesn't make any sense but he he explains that like every time it makes physical con it absorbs all the kinetic energy so it can keep going so if i have it on my fist and i punch you wouldn't the flubber on my hand absorb all the energy and just throw my hand back like yeah because it doesn't damage the walls the only thing it ever seems to really break is glass and porcelain hmm so that doesn't make any sense and like there's also like the physics other things that don't make sense that he should know. So like when he decides he's going to cheat at the basketball game, he wants to test it. And he's he's getting this stuff all over the 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 stadium and the all basketball the court. But he wants to put on his shoes and figure out if he can control bouncing. He never actually does. But he's like, oh, I'm going to need a counterweight. So he like takes a 50 pounds bag of like cement or whatever and ties a bungee cord to it. And he's like, OK, perfect. I've got a 50 pound counterweight to it. He weighs... Robin Williams conservatively probably weighed 200 pounds plus. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's not the most in-shaped guy. So, he was stocky. Yeah, so I was like, he's, he's at least 200 pounds. How is a 50-pound weight going to be a counterbalance for you in that kind of thing? <laughs> in a thing where every time you make contact, you get stronger and faster. And eventually, it, it doesn't work, but it, it worked a lot longer than it should have. But then he decides to pivot and experiment on children instead. Without their consent. No, no, these are college students. It's still unethical. You're still a child if you're like under 20. Yeah, but he, (laughs) but it doesn't make sense because he's like, oh, proof of concept. Even though he never gains control of it. Like he's bouncing around, bouncing around. Then he gets, grabs onto the basketball hoop and then gets slung shot back. And then the cement comes to fly to him. He's like, it worked. No, it didn't. You never got to the point where you controlled it. And you just let these children, as you put it, use this with no explanation as to what's going on. Right. They would they have all have died. Like, what if they, their they flip? Yeah, they break their necks. <laughs> and then it makes no sense because, like, m- various people, including both villains, are like, this doesn't make any sense. They're clearly cheating. Mm-hmm. They got destroyed the first half of the game, and now they're doing all this stuff. And the ref's like, there's no rule about jumping too high. And it's like, clearly, <laughs> there's some performance enhancing going on. And then... Why is, like, why is the entire crowd not running in terror? You're right. Why is there a crowd there at all when this team is supposed to be the worst team at all? Like, why would this game be sold out? Especially because, like, even now in modern society, if we were to witness something like that happening, your brain kind of goes through the list of scenarios to make it make sense. And it would have eventually landed on demons and everyone would have run (laughs) because nothing else makes sense. And then what also doesn't make sense is so afterwards, like they make a bet. The whole reason he decides to do the basketball thing is he is in the flying car hovering over Sarah's house being a stalker. Creepy. Um, And he overhears Shooter McGavin and Sarah going, oh, let's have a bet. Um, If my team wins, Shooter McGavin says, if my team wins, you have to go with me on a ski vacation this weekend. If your team wins, you buy me dinner. So he's getting something out of it regardless. That's so creepy though as Uh, well. Like she's being coerced. Yeah, she's, he's not a good dude. But Robin Williams hears that and goes, well, I have to make sure the team wins so I can, one, have a practical application of Flubber um, <laughs> to prove, you know, make sure that she doesn't go away with him for the weekend. I but, love that his proving his hypothesis is always like top priority over his fiance. Right. So he goes and they do the game and Shooter McGavin's like, they definitely were cheating. She's like, you're just being a sore loser. She's supposed to be a very intelligent woman. She would have to think something's up. <laughs> right. And then he tells her about it. As the president of the school, she would be like legal, especially if they're going to now go sell this. Because mm-hmm. he's like, we can go sell this. Like, think about it, sporting good. And she's like, you're thinking small. It's got to be the energy. Well, and depending and on his contract, it may even belong to the university. Oh, no, he says that it belongs to the university. So that's, I'm, I'm on board with that. That's the only thing about this movie that makes sense. <laughs> But she's like, oh, no, we're definitely going to go with flight in the energy sector because he clearly doesn't have any business sense. But at that point, being president of the school, 
she's got to think about the legal obligation to report the fact that it was used in that sport because they're going to have to do scientific studies to prove that it's safe and everything. Like, they can't just be like, oh, look, we did this once. Like, they have to go through the scientific process. Yeah. And everyone's <laughs> going to know they cheated. Like, they would be fined out the wazoo for cheating on the basketball game, doing human trials on something. They'd be banned. Like, he would be banned from science for life. Mm -hmm. so, so none of she. this makes sense. None of it makes sense. You know what makes the least sense to me? What makes the least sense to you? <laughs> the end of the film. So uh, they finally get together. They finally make it to the, the third wedding. Fourth wedding. Is it the fourth wedding? Yeah, because the one that he missed at the beginning was the third one. Oh, Jesus. The fourth wedding. Homeboy has had his issue of the sabotaging robot solved. He still is not there in person. Yeah, they do a video wedding. They do a he quarantine COVID wedding. He uses the new robot to make a Zoom call to his own wedding. Yeah, that's not a good look. Why? Yeah, she's enabling. Yeah. She's an enabler. It just... It's not a good look. It's not a good movie. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> not. this ruin your childhood? <laughs> I mean, it's definitely not a good movie. So if this was something I held dear to my heart, then yeah, I would have said absolutely this ruined my childhood. As this is something I only remember seeing twice, maybe a third time, I'm going to say no. Because like, I honestly don't remember most of this movie. But realistically, this is a bad movie. So I guess I'd have to say yes, because it's just not a good movie from our childhood. Yeah. I think for me, ooh, this is kind of heavy, actually. Because it's like, it's bigger than this movie. It's like... Now in this day and age, and of course he was an icon while he was alive, but Robin Williams is like, he looms larger than life. He's, yeah. especially for our generation, like a fixture. He's iconic. Yeah. He's amazing. And for the most part, he can do no wrong. And he is still good in this movie, but at the same time, it was a bad choice. So it kind of makes me see him as a little bit more human. Ooh. And you can see in his face sometimes there are moments where he's just <laughs> like maybe not entirely 100% in the moment and I think that's healthy for us to see our icons in bad films well, I, and I think I read you know every time we do a movie with Robin Williams you know we did the birdcage just a few weeks ago um, we always read about how he has to you know stick to the script for you know one or two takes and then he could do his ad libs well Will Wheaton said that there was enough ad libs um, from him that they could have made an entire other movie probably a better one but for the most part apparently they didn't really use any of the ad libs so like most of the stuff was the scripted stuff mm -hmm. so i'm sure robin williams didn't love that that's probably why he looked a little defeated in parts of the film yeah um but yeah i think the only reason this movie did well like i remember the marketing for it i remember some stuff with mcdonald's and coca-cola and whatnot it was huge marketing um, this movie could have only been made with robin williams and maybe jim carrey yeah and I think for me, part of it was probably marketing, but I thought this film was more beloved than it was. Yeah. I I didn't realize it was this bad. I didn't realize no. that it was kind of an embarrassment to everyone involved. How is this a John Hughes film? Like, oh. I don't see John Hughes in this at all. No. And he was all over it. He didn't just produce it. He co-wrote it. Co yeah. No, he was the sole writer. The other people were credited were dead. They they just wrote wrote yeah. the things that this was based on. So like John Hughes <laughs> and and um Les own this. And it wasn't even like uh, he died pretty young. He was he wasn't even 60 when when John Hughes died, yeah. but it wasn't even like he had a, an illness that made him make this choice. Like he made a whole bunch of other films after this one. <laughs> 
pretty bad. It's just, uh, you know, I guess in certain ways it did ruin my childhood just because like my perception of it was so different. Yeah. And I kind of thought like any Robin Williams film could still be good because he was in it. And that illusion has been shattered for right. me. Well, but like we said, he's doing the best that he possibly could with this. Yeah. Um, if anybody else did this movie, I think even with Jim Carrey, it would have been wouldn't have been even remotely entertained. Like we were still somewhat entertained by it just because we're like, holy, what is going on with this movie? But, but you can tell, you can see it in his face. Like his eyes don't get that sparkle no. until he's improvising. Yeah. And they took that away from him. So that's like taking the essence away from him. Yeah. I'm honestly surprised he did this because like he was, he didn't have the best relationship with Disney. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's not a good movie. This whole film is such a mystery to me. If I feel like this movie got made to pay a debt somehow. <laughs> like, I feel like this movie is just covering some kind of scam. Like, someone needed to get paid for something, and they didn't have a legal way to do it, so they made this turn I feel like film. this was probably something where they're going to go, we're going to give John Hughes and Wes a big budget, you know, special effects driven movie and i bet god if, the special effects were so good though i feel like we have to like reaffirm that yeah. they were amazing for 97 they're still really good oh. they're better than some of the stuff that i still see coming out every once in a while but i feel like they if this movie was a slam dunk and it was well received they probably would have done some like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids kind of ride attraction at yeah. Disneyland. I feel like they thought this was going to be their next attraction. And this, you know, maybe not a big franchise, but something that they could do something cool. Because this would have been cool to do like the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, like one of those. You and know, they were also rebooting something that already had a sequel. Yeah. So they, they knew the formula could work. Right. So it's like this would have made sense to be one of those things where you go and sit in a theater and the seats rock around and maybe some water gets sprayed on your face. You know, one of those type amusement park rides. I bet that was the plan if this was well received. Man. I have no basis for that. I just feel like that's kind of reeks of crushed dreams and radioactive Ugh. isotopes. Yep. All right. So, um, yeah, childhood's sufficiently ruined. I guess that kind of wraps this one up for yep. us. Uh, where can we find you on the internet? I'm basically just the MDX Pods account. So MDX Pods <laughs> on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, we're also at mdxpods.com and patreon.com slash mdxpods. And we're on YouTube as well. Yay. I'm all over the internet at Katrina Ossity, although I don't really post that much lately. That's about it. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>